Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Jeff Sislow with Remax Results in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Last year, he closed 80 transactions with a total sales volume of $16 million. His average sales price was $203,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. He operates a team with five members, one listing buyer specialist, one transaction coordinator, one part-time marketing assistant, one part-time database administrator, and one team leader. Jeff Sislow is the team leader of the Sislow Group. He has been an agent for 27 years. Jeff sold 283 homes worth $63 million in his best year and sold 2,900 homes in his career. In this call, Jeff talks about how he sold 48 homes in his first year, including his zero-cost plan and simple yet powerful script. Jeff's miraculous recovery from an incurable disease. The doctors told him, go home, stay away from your kids, don't kiss your wife, get rid of your pets, and don't go out in public. Restructuring and rebuilding his business after his brush with death. How he plans to double his average sales price this year. His plan for representing builders and his USP prospecting script. How he generates 50% of his business from past clients and sphere of influence, including his marketing plan. A discussion of his top 100 list, including who goes on it and what they receive. How he's renewing and detoxing his neglected past client database. His strategy for turning one transaction into three commission checks. Plus team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jeff. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. Hey, Jeff, it's great to have you. Jeff, before we talk about what you're doing now, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Prior to real estate, I was in the computer technology field. Shortly after high school, I went into the Marine Corps. I spent four years there. I was trained in the computer operations area and kind of migrated through operations, got into programming. And right before I got into real estate, I was actually doing program trading for Wall Street. Uh, talk about an exciting position, but one that was somewhat limited to the upside. So uh, I uh, just had the interest in getting into real estate and uh, made my way in 1986 into the field. Wow. Well, that is really interesting. So you kind of came from that tech side, that analytical side, and you moved over and transitioned into the sell side. That That's an unusual leap. Do you recall what was the impetus to make that change? Well, I used to say I never got on the right elevator. I mean, that's kind of a funny term, but I used to say that because I thought there's a, there's a lot more opportunity in life to be successful, to earn a better income, 
and I was very capped with where I was at. Uh, even though I had an exciting position working with New York, you know, the big uh, Shearson Lehman and Dean Witter, you know, those companies of old that kind of went away or merged. But we worked with those companies, and it was an exciting position, and uh, we were creating program institutional trading uh, mechanisms that uh, produced the buy and sell programs and ultimately caused the stock market to crash 500 points in 1987. But I was in the real estate field at that point. But I just felt there, there was much better upside in the real estate uh, arena to, to uh, create a business and to earn a better income and to get paid for what I was really feeling I was worth. And uh, as I look back, it was a great decision. When you got started in 86, do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? Well, actually, I was uh, blessed to have a really good start. Uh, my very first year, I sold 58 houses, and I would say approximately 75 to 80% of those were buyers. I would prospect for buyers. I'd, I'd look for buyers. I didn't have much credentials to go get listings, so I just went out and worked the buyer market and did very well. So 58 transactions that first year. Wow, that is impressive. Do you recall what you were doing to generate those buyer leads? Yeah, I still remember some of my phone calls. Uh, I used to call apartment buildings, and I'd say to the, you know, the renter, have you ever thought of stepping out of the apartment and into a new house? That's exactly what I'd say. I still remember it today, in fact. And, uh, and once in a while, I'd had people would say, you know, yeah, I thought about it, but I don't think it's possible. And I'd start asking some questions, and I remember uh, one guy saying, that he didn't have enough down payment. I said, well, what do you have? He says, I only have about 10000 And back then, the prices were like $70,000, $80,000 for a house. I says, I think that's enough to get you in. I says, if I can get you into the house with $10,000, would you like to move? And he said, yes. And he was like my second or third sale. So I would just simply prospect and ask questions. I was going to say, how long have you been in the business? 1986, was that about 27 years? Yeah, it'll be 28 actually this summer. So, yep, you're right, 27 years so far. Awesome. How many homes did you sell last year? Last year we did 80 transactions and about 16.4 or 5 million in volume. How many homes did you sell in your best year? Well, my best year was quite a bit more than last year. My average for my whole career is more than 100 per year. My very best year was 2006. And I closed 283 sides, and our volume that year was a little over $63 million. How many homes have you sold in your career? We're right around just under 2,900. So we're, we're coming up to that 3,000 milestone. Uh, we should hit that sometime this year as our goal for this year is, uh, is 100-plus houses. So we'll be right around 3,000 by the end of the year. You really have averaged somewhere just north of 100 transactions a year. And you had a really great 2006. We know the economy fell apart. Is that what happened and why your production came down from 280 down to 80? What happened in the interim there? Actually, it went from 283 to 36 in two years. I went from 283. Two years later, I was at 36. So I had some personal issues going on. I went through a divorce, unfortunately. And, you know, just the economy on top of that, and there was just a lot of issues going on. And, uh, you know, we all face them. Everyone faces some tough times in their life. And, uh, but you know what? We, we pick up the pieces and we stay the course. And, uh, you know, bad times don't last forever. So 
things are much better now. And the other part of my answer to your question, why are we at 80 and not over 100, is my business model has changed dramatically in that I don't go on the appointments any longer. I've trained a wonderful young man who's very sharp to go on those appointments. And so we're getting better and better every year as he's getting more efficient and more effective. So those 80 transactions basically are 80 transactions without going on appointments. So that has to be built up in a different format than me going on the appointments, which I've done all my career. So the last few years, we've been between 50, and now we moved it up to 80. So there's a different business model, and I'm real happy because it affords me a lot more free time. Very good. So we're going to go into your team structure a little bit later on, but you're rebuilding this new model. You closed 80 last year, and that was up quite a bit from the year prior. Where do you think you're going to be this year with this new model? Well, we want to be up at least 25%, and I'd like to be up closer to 40%, which would put us over 100 So, and the reason I have such a wide range there is because we're doing a lot of things early this year that, let's call them changes and modifications, that could really yield us some really good positives at the end of the year. So it's a little more difficult to forecast, but I'm expecting to go over 100, which would be an up figure of 25% over the 80 from last year. I want to take a little side tour for a minute because there's something happened in your your recent past that uh, affected your your business quite a bit. Back in 2001, you had a life-changing event. Could you tell us what happened? Yeah, it's one of the worst nightmares, you know, that that a person could uh could experience, but at the same time it turned out to be really good in the end, but um in 2001, I was very very sick. And uh first I had a hepatitis early in the year and they couldn't even diagnose what type it was. It was idiopathic, but I got really sick from that, and then that somehow, they think, was responsible for me being diagnosed with a disease called aplastic anemia. And what that is, it's an autoimmune disease. It attacked my bone marrow, killed all my bone marrow in three weeks. I was in the hospital for a month getting blood transfusions every three days, And I was there for a month, and they found no bone marrow transplant, which is the only way that you can survive the disease because you have no immune system. So if you get a germ, you could die at any point in time. So I was in there for a month. There's no marrow match in the world. There's no marrow match in my family. And the doctor says, we're sorry. There's nothing we can do. So go home. Stay away from your kids. Don't kiss your wife. Get rid of your pets. And don't go out in public. And that's what the doctor said. They just said it's a matter of time. So, you know, as a person, I've been strong in my faith as a Christian. I know the Bible. I've taught in written Bible courses at church. And I stood on God's promises that he would heal me. And I continued to stay that course. And four months went by. I never got sick. I got blood transfusions every three or four days. I had a total of 41 blood transfusions. And then I was miraculously healed, and all of a sudden the bone marrow starts to grow back, and marrow does not grow back, but mine grew back, came all the way back to its fullness. I mean, I was was sick. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even jog a block in 2001 in the summer, but by fall I ran a mile in 6 minutes and 40 seconds, and I say that because that is is medically impossible. (laughs) 
So I'm I'm thoroughly blessed. It's a great story. I share it as often as I get a chance, and uh, uh, I'm just I'm very very blessed. But yeah, that was quite a life changing event. Wow, that is amazing, and I believe you've documented that in a book. Could you tell us real quickly what's the name of the book and where somebody could get it? Uh, certainly, uh, Mike. Uh, I actually documented the events as they were happening. I was writing emails. I had 22,000 people on my distribution list telling them what was going on and what I believe was going to happen. And I said, don't go away because you're going to see an amazing miracle before your eyes. I believe it, and don't go away because you're going to see this happen. And so all that was written while I was sick, and then it has been put into a book. I initially came out with a book in 2008, self-published but I just came out two weeks ago with the book, with a new title, with a publisher, and the name of the book is called Journey to a Miracle When Faith Was the Only Cure. And it's available on our website, journeytoamiracle.com. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for letting us know about that. It's amazing that you had this recovery, and now it appears you're doing the same thing for your business. You're, you're bringing your business back from getting knocked down. And uh, I'd like to dive into that some more. It's a pretty exciting story as well. So first of all, could you tell us where Apple Valley, Minnesota is? Sure. Apple Valley is a suburb of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. We call it the Twin Cities. And uh, it's a suburb of about 50,000 people. And there's a number of suburbs kind of in the south metro area that have, you know, forty to 60,000 people per city. So you're in a big metroplex. How many people in the entire Twin Cities area? I would say, including the suburbs, Minneapolis-St. Paul, Twin Cities has about 2 million, maybe 2.5 million total population. You're at the edge of a large population, and your marketplace, how many people do you think are in your marketplace that you're working? The area that we focus on, where we do most of our business, would be approximately 300,000 population. Could you describe your current real estate market to us? Sure, Mike. The average price in the Twin Cities as a whole is $191,000 currently, and it is upticking at the pace of about... 7 to 9% per year. Uh, it was moving up a little bit faster than that a year ago, but it slowed down slightly at this time. Our marketplace, my, say, 300,000 homes that I'm focusing on, has an average selling price of about $250,000. It'll vary a little bit from city to city. Maybe it's 225 in one and maybe 275 in another. And then as far as the, the type of houses... There's entry level and there's, you know, middle class homes. We don't have a lot of luxury homes in our market. We have a few, but as you go to different cities that are a little bit outside of the marketplace that I really focus on, you'll find some more certainly upper bracket uh, $1 million plus houses. The industry average currently for the metropolitan area here is about 80 days, and I'm happy to say that ours is 33 days, uh, quite a bit less than the average. Jeff, do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? Not exactly, no. I have in the past. For example, the year that I did 283 transactions, I was focusing on investors buying in Florida. So we were, we were doing a lot of transactions that direction. Over 200 were in Florida, and the balance was here in Minnesota that year. So there was a real niche going on at that time. 
Then in 2008, when the market crashed, and I'm down at 36 homes sold in 2008, I said, wow, I, I need to either change what I'm doing and retool my business completely or else find something else to do because this is, this is, this is crazy, 36 transactions. So I retooled my business. We really focused on short sales, and we became really good at short sales, and we streamlined different procedures. And my business at one time was in excess of 80% short sales. In 2009, 10, and 11, we were doing lots and lots of short sales, and we became very niched at that time. But right now, we're not. We're focusing on getting a higher selling price. We haven't niched it yet, but we're making some changes in our marketing so that we can enter into that upper bracket, not real upper bracket, but $500,000 instead of $200,000. We're moving that market strategically so that we can capture higher sell prices. How are you doing that? How are you going to achieve a higher sales price? It sounds like a pretty big jump. Yes, we're just retargeting our market approach. In other words, we're using some of the technology, some of the vendors and the, and the tools that we can utilize to go into different markets. We've, uh, we've invested in these areas. We believe that we're going to continue to get more appointments in these areas, and our conversion rate on appointments is excellent because of some of the technology and wow factors that we're using on those appointments. So that's one of the things. We're also working in moving into developing a new construction arm, and that, too, is one of the big changes that we're making this year. So the new construction average selling prices are over $350,000 when you look at the average, which is much higher than the $191,000 averages that we have in the existing market. So that is going to push our sale prices up as we get more new construction sales and as we move into some of these other neighborhoods and markets that we're now farming and using technology to reach. So you are doing some geographic farming to open up some of these higher-priced neighborhoods. Correct. As of this year, we've made that commitment. You mentioned you're using some tools for the geographic farming. Could you name some of those tools? Well, the one that we like the best is called SmartZip because we can dial in on a given neighborhood and target that neighborhood, and then this program basically rises up to the surface, the top 20% of those homeowners in that neighborhood that are likely to move over the next year. Have you done tests on that? Has that been accurate? Is it accurately picking the people that are most likely to move? We went on referrals from other people, and it's a relatively new company and new process We've used them for only 60 days, but every time a mailing goes out, Mike, what we're finding is that we're getting an immediate 8 to 10 people that are identifying themselves that they are thinking of moving and they're very interested in valuations of their house. So that is better than anything that we're using right now, so we're very excited about that. We started with one area. We've used it for 60 days. Every time that mailing goes out, which is a monthly mailing, we get immediate response and we can now start working with these people. We can talk to them. We can track them. We just increased our into another market. We just increased into one of these more expensive markets. We just did it this past week. So we're seeing some immediate results where people want to talk to us because they're thinking of moving. So in just that short time, we're experiencing some excellent response, and 
as a result, we've already increased our reach, and our reach is now expanding into these higher price-ranged homes. So you said you're, you are receiving about 8 to 10 people that are interested in moving for each mail-out. How many mail pieces are you sending each time? The first group, so we'll talk about the first group because we're just starting a second, a second uh, geographic area. The first area, approximately 1,000 mailers went out. And within a few days, we had 8 to 10 on each of those mailings. So in other words, the mailing goes to the same location. The first time we get about 8 or 10. Then a month later, it goes to the same people again, a different piece. And we've got another 8 or 10, different ones. So we're working 1,000. And we've got, I don't have the exact number, but 16 to 20 responses in 60 days on, on a mail of 1,000 one month and 1,000 the next month to the same households. So we're, we're real excited about that. We, you know, if you get one person converted, it pays for a lot of these mailings. It's a very efficiently and effectively market, you know, the package is excellent. There's so many good components to to it. It's the most exciting thing that we've seen in a while. And so uh, we're going to know more in a few more months. But right now, with the response that we're getting and the communication that we're developing with these people that are thinking of moving this year, uh, it's excellent. It's very, very good. And plus, you know, the market here is frozen. I don't know if you know that or not. It's below zero. It's been below zero for weeks and weeks and weeks. We're just trying to thaw people out with some good mailings. So <laughs> we think that this is a really good, a really good tool that we're very excited about. Jeff, what was your total investment to make those two mailings of the thousand each? So the the total cost you had into Smart Zip plus the mailing piece and the actual mail out. What's the total investment you made to generate those sixteen to twenty leads coming back to you? I don't have an exact number, but it's somewhere in the vicinity of a thousand dollars. A month, I think. I have my my business partner Joe. He works with the company, and I basically, you know, he he gives me the information uh, what we're going to do, and so he's got some latitude on spending some company dollars. So I don't know exactly the number. My apology for that, but it's somewhere in the range of a thousand dollars a month. Now that that'll vary based on the average price of your target market. In other words, if the price goes higher, then the cost is a little higher as well. And I'm not sure if they change the quality or the level of the marketing piece. I'm not really sure about that. I really delegate a lot of things in my business. I'm delegating my listing appointments. I'm delegating my buyer showings. I delegate, delegate, delegate. So I don't have the exact answer, but I think it's somewhere in that range of a grand a month. So we're getting eight or ten what we believe to be really good leads. And if we get, you know, more and more of these leads nurtured, we know we're going to close on them and it will, you know, far pay for it. So we're, we're excited about it. It's, it's really in its infancy, but we're seeing some good responses and, and people wanting to talk to us that are not just shopping because I think everyone knows Internet leads typically take a lot of time to nurture. And when I'm talking time, I'm talking staff hours, okay, to keep in touch, keep in touch, send out something to keep in touch. It takes time, sometimes six months, 12 months. 
So this program, SmartZip, is designed to find the people that are likely to move in the next 12 months. That's going to minimize this follow-up time and cut my overhead costs in the office. Sure, sure. And I just did some quick math on the back of a piece of paper here. You've got a $2,000 investment. Let's say that to round the numbers, you had 20 leads come back in. So it's about $100 per seller lead. And at your initial thought here is they look pretty high quality. That's not a bad investment, $100 for each seller lead. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Mike. It's a matter of can they be converted. And the quality of lead is everything. If it's if it's a lead that just comes in, there's certain tools that'll just give you leads, 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 and there's so many leads that, that a buyer agent can't even call them all. I mean, we've heard of programs that can generate that type of activity, and we think it's really, really good. And I know a lot of agents that have, have bought into certain types of technologies, and I just get the feedback. Are you closing the deals? Well, no, sometimes these leads are going to take a year or more to nurture and to cultivate. You know, that's expensive. And then if you're not consistently putting them on some type of a drip campaign to stay in touch, then you're going to lose them anyway, and you've taken time and money to lose a lead. So high-quality people that want to talk to you because in a couple of months they could be moving, that is worth paying more money for than a pay-per-click someone that's just maybe just checking on their home values or their neighbor's house value. So the quality of lead is everything. And we think right now, from what we see, we're, we're very optimistic that the quality of these smart zip leads are something that we're going to continue to invest in. And we've done it after 60 days into a new, we've basically doubled now. So we're going to be going up to about, I think, 15 to 1,800 more homes than the initial 1,000 that we're going to target. So we're going to be hitting 25 to 2,800 homes on our next mailing. Yeah, so you're feeling pretty good about it. Have any of those turned into listing appointments yet? Not that I'm aware of. It's still kind of quiet in our market. We have a very low uh, inventory right now. And again, I, I don't mean to be harping about the weather, but we have been below average temperatures, below zero for weeks on end. They closed our schools here five different times. They closed the public schools. I I don't remember that in decades. Five different times in the last month. So it's really abnormally cold here, and I think people are just waiting for the warm-up. So I'm optimistic we're going to get some uh, listings on on this Smart Zip program in the next 60 days. I think we'll be picking some up. That's just my my, uh, call. The mail-out itself, what are you mailing? Is it a postcard? Is it a letter? Is it a newsletter? What is it, and why is it getting such a great response? Well, number one, I, from what I, what I know, again, I, I really delegate a lot of this stuff to Joe, but he's, he's described uh, the design. He's described the design as an outstanding look and a call to action. The mailers are very effective in doing so because they allow the seller to basically go online with a particular web URL and they can adjust their home value. So if they don't agree with their home, they can check their home value and they can adjust it online if they don't agree with it. And people like to do that. I mean, that's kind of a real cool marketing approach. So when they do that, they have to go through a portal and we find out who they are and that's how we get in touch with them. So 
if they want to adjust their value, they can do it online, and then they can contact, then we can contact them to help them in getting their value where it should be. And people that want to do that are typically considering moving, or they're more concerned about their value today than they might be at some other point in time. So I, I think that's a real good component. And the marketing piece, again, the design and the call to action are really what makes it effective. It sounds really interactive. It's getting a lot of participation from that seller. They have this ability to affect what's listed out there in the world about the value of their property, and that's why they're taking action. And as you mentioned, the only people who would be that concerned is someone who's thinking about either selling or maybe refinancing in the near future. Absolutely. We've all heard that certain sites, I won't mention them, are not up to date. And if people are going to be selling and a particular website has their value less than what they think it is, that could be a detriment because a lot of consumers looking for a house might go to those same websites and say, well, this house is only worth this much. Why are they asking this much? They give so much credibility to sites, and those sites might have information that is either not accurate or certainly not in favor of what the seller is hoping to receive for their house. So this tool allows the seller to jump in and raise their hand and say, wait a minute, I don't think my house is worth this. I think it's worth a little more than that, and then we can help them to achieve that through our dialogue. You also mentioned that you're going to expand into the new construction arena. Could you give us your quick thoughts on, on what you're going to do? What's your plan to do that? We have a couple of different things. We're trying to align ourselves with a good, well-known, top-quality builder. We have begun to prepare a list of key people within these organizations. We know that new construction is expanding. We know that if a builder is doing a good job, they're going to need to hire more people. So what we've done, we've done a couple things prior to my phone calling into these different builder contacts. We have gotten Joe, my business partner, licensed as a contractor. He is a licensed building contractor, not because he's going to build a house but he's a licensed building contractor because now when I make the phone call to the builder, I can let him know that we understand your business. In fact, my business partner is a licensed building contractor, not for the purposes of building and competing with you, but for the purposes of being able to dialogue not only with you, but with the consumer as well. We want to have something that is unique, a unique selling proposition to go out and reach out to the community to bring people into you. So when we as a building contractor align ourselves with you potentially as a builder, we offer something to the consumer that other representatives of other builders cannot offer. So that's one point. Uh, number two, I am in contact with, and this fell into my lap, but I'm in contact with someone that plans to get a real estate license and she happens to be the daughter of a very well-known builder in town and she wants to work with my company and build out a new construction division. So that's in the works. Uh, that just came about a couple of weeks ago, but that fell right into our plan to go into new construction. So there's a couple of key things that are in place that we just have to drive through and I have to make these contact calls and do it probably in the next few weeks when we get a couple more of these components in place so that we have a plan to bring to the builder. I want to meet with a builder. I want to have lunch and simply going to say, we know you probably have your sales team, but we 
believe that we can bring some things to your company. And we're interviewing builders right now to see who we want to represent because we know that we have some really powerful tools that will help someone's business grow. Would you be interested in growing your business and listening to what we have to say? And that's my approach. And I'm sure we're going to get some luncheon appointments, and then we'll pick the builder that we want to work with. That's, that's how I see it happening. How did you go about identifying which builders you wanted to approach? Did you pick builders that were the biggest builders in your market, maybe a national builder? Did you try to stick with the small mom and pops? Did you look at more maybe a a regional builder? Were they doing a certain amount of production? How did you go about your selection process of which builders you would talk to? What we've done so far, Mike, is that my transaction coordinator has built and is still building this list of all the builders in the Twin Cities and their contact numbers. We also do a background check if the builder is not a national builder, if they're a local builder here in the Twin Cities. We've done background checks on the builders, their previous companies, the name of the builder, the owner of the company, and we have found things that we don't want to align ourselves with. In other words, we, we want to be aligned with someone that has a good reputation you know, and sometimes you find people that don't have the kind of reputation that you want to align yourself with. We're still in that process right now. We were getting pretty close to working with someone, and we decided that we didn't want to based on some things that we investigated and found out. Sounds kind of anal, but it's not. We're really wanting to align ourselves with someone that does a quality job at a reasonable price. We want to align ourselves with someone for the long term. We don't want to represent a bunch of builders. We want to find someone that we really believe in and that we can promote with a good conscience. And then we know that we're going to get good results and we're going to have good follow-up and we're going to have good recommendations and referrals coming back because the process is going well and, and what was promised has been fulfilled. So it's really important to align ourselves with good people, not only people that work for me within the office, but also the vendors and the various contractors that we work with. We want to be aligning ourselves with the best possible candidate. That's why we are going to interview the builder, and we want to align ourselves with someone that we believe is a winner that we get excited to promote. So, Jeff, we just talked about some of the, the future things that you're, you're looking at to expand your business. Let's go back now for a minute and talk about just over the last course of the last year and how you generated these 80 closings. My understanding is a large percentage of those transactions were from your past clients and sphere of influence. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a pretty good percentage. We do a lot of different things, but I would say that those are probably... 25% each. So that's about half of our business. Let's go into that. Let's dig a little deeper. How big is your past client and sphere of influence database? Our current database is approximately 2,500 persons. And of that, I would say 1,500 of those are past clients and about 1,000 are sphere of influence. Someone that we've made a connection with, we haven't done business with, but we have at the very least, a good acquaintance relationship. So 1,500 past clients and 1,000 sphere. You have 1,500 past clients, yet you've closed, let's say, 2,800 or so transactions over the course of your career. What happened to those other people, the, the other 1,300 or so? Well, some of those past clients bought and sold. So you still have one person and not two. 
and the 28 or 2,900 transactions would, would be one person for two transactions in that case. Some have moved more than once. Some have moved two or three times with us. So there's, there's some of the numbers. Some of the other numbers, they don't always sell with you again. I mean, they may sell and buy out of state. They may decide to rent. There's a lot of different reasons why people might not remain in that database. And what we do on an annual basis as we go through and we kind of do an audit so that we're not mailing to someone that doesn't live there anymore. We're not mailing to someone that, you know, doesn't want to get our mail anymore because they're never going to move. And, you know, there's just certain, you know, I would say 5% or 8% of the people, you know, they just, for some reason, don't want to hear from you. Maybe that's a high number. It's kind of a guess. But not everyone wants to continually be kept on our mailing list, and they have the ability to opt out. We use a technology where they can opt out. And so if they do, we don't put them back on again. So there's, there's an attrition that goes over time. So we still have a pretty good amount. We want to mail to people that are wanting to hear from us, that receive a value from us, and like to hear from us. That's, that's what we want to stay in touch with. The thousand sphere of influence, how did you put together that list? That's got to be more than just your family and friends. Who's in that list? Well, basically, Mike, the people that we meet over the years that we feel are friends of friends, we get business cards. We meet someone uh, at an outing or an event, and we share and swap business cards. It's great to meet you. We put them in the database. We send a little follow-up note. We're converting that follow-up note from email to actually a handwritten note with a business card and a refrigerator magnet. We're, we're trying to really be in front of the people. So over the years, there's people that we add to the list. Where do you keep your database? Do you have a software program that you use? Yeah, we use a software program that's a Salesforce-related program, and it's called Property Base. It's a very customizable software program where we can create our own searchable fields and we tailor it to our business. Joe is the architect of property base for us. He's gone in there and created the necessary fields and we have met this year alone, actually in the month of January, as a team We have sat down and spent somewhere between 15 and 20 hours talking about what specific fields we should have or shouldn't have in the database record, and we tweaked it. And again, I come from a computer background, and as much as I don't like computers anymore, I was able to understand and get into this conversation to where we were all contributing. What do we really want to track? We want to track sources of business, of course. Uh, and we want to track the type of people that are likely to move. We want to know who is likely to move based on our own record keeping. So we went into our database and we tweaked it and tweaked it, and then we didn't like a title of some field, and we renamed the title of the field just so it's really user-friendly. So when we hire someone in the future, they can come in and really understand what that field's all about. Because in the past people would come in and they would put it in the wrong field. They'd take some valuable information and plop it in the wrong area. 
that's because it wasn't designed as well as it could have been. So we spent a lot of time and we feel really good about the time we've invested in the database. And now we're going through every single real estate transaction that we've ever had, making sure all of our data is in the right fields and that all these records are legitimate so that the people we're mailing to are actually people that are likely to respond to us, almost like the smart zip approach where we're trying to find the most likely people to move. We want to be able to identify who the most likely people are to give us referrals, for example. And we have coded within our database those people as a top 100 group. And then we're doing specific mailings to that top 100 group, and we're measuring the response of what we're sending to them to see if what we're sending works. So it's a lot of little things that we're really microscopically working so that the effectiveness of what we're doing is going to have a higher probability of paying off. So you're creating a smart database. Uh, you have this top 100 group. To find a little clearer, how did you decide who goes in the top 100? The people that are really our closest friends that we feel will send us referrals, they're going to go in the group. People that have already sent us at least one referral in the past 12 months, they're going to go in the group. We're going to continue to nurture the people in this group. And if we're getting a lot of referrals from people, we want to invite them to events that we might do. You know, we can't pay the people because they're not licensed. But what we can do is we can really take good care of them. We can invite them to things. Let's go to, the, let's go to a game or we got some tickets to the wild game or whatever. We can treat our best customers in a fun way and have a good time. We just want to take care. We want to know who they are. Because if you don't have it identified in your database, you can forget somebody, especially if there's 100 people. We only have about 35 in there right now. We're just not going to throw in 100. We're going to move up to trying to have up to 100 people that we really want to keep in touch with. They get the handwritten notes on their anniversary date. They get the handwritten notes on their birthday. We're taking extra special time with this group of people, and we're really wanting to nurture that relationship. We're going into their Facebook pages. We're, we're tying in social media to our database now so that we know what they like. And if we find that they like triathlons, okay, we might find an article. Our database administrator might look for an article or something that would pertain to what they like, and we might find a magazine subscription. And we'll put them on a one-year magazine subscription for 15 or $20. They're going to love it. They can say, wow, these guys really, they really thought about me. And it takes a lot of time and planning to do that, but we are focusing on getting referrals. We're focusing on getting referrals from people in our database, and we're focusing on getting referrals from other people. Here's another idea relative to referrals, because this is really what we're trying to do. I should mention that last year I spent a tremendous amount of money online marketing. And in the fall, the market slowed down. And it slowed down for a couple different reasons, in my opinion. The Obamacare, all the stuff that went on with that. The government shutdown, the rising interest rates. Our business slowed down a little bit. And I had paid for a lot of additional online marketing the last half of the year when the market slowed down. There wasn't as many people pointing and clicking, but my money was out there and it wasn't getting clicked on. Now that's gone because if your money's not out there, when the consumer sentiment is high and they're clicking, you're wasting your money. So I said, let's stop doing as much as that. 
as we did last year. Let's start putting our money into getting referrals. Let's really work our database. We have to recalibrate our database to be able to facilitate the leads that we want through our referral sources, through our, our sphere, and through our past clients. To get those referrals, we have to make some changes. So that's one thing that we did. The other thing that we wanted to do is I went out and found who is the most likely person to get me leads. So I approached the guy that I know that works at a local restaurant, and he's the bartender. He's very talkative. He's very intelligent. I said, you know, would you like to get your real estate license and work on my team? You can send me referrals because you know people. You're very thorough. You're very articulate. You're an excellent communicator, and you can make a lot more money than any tips that you're ever going to get here. And he says, that sounds really interesting. He's on his way to getting his license. Then I can pay him referral fees, and he's going to work toward getting some extra income in his pocket. So I'm working referrals from a couple different angles. If someone wants to get their license and they can get out and talk to people, bingo, you can be on my team. Even if you never show a house, you can send me referrals. We can pay you a referral fee. So that's another example. We're really working on the referral aspect. That's what my focus is on this year. Well, let's talk about how you're generating those repeat and referrals from the, the big group, the 2,500. Uh, how are you staying in touch with those people to make that happen? Are you sending out mail? Are you making phone calls, emails? What are you doing? How often are you doing it? Well, first of all, I want to admit that I went to sleep for the last few years on keeping in touch with my database. So if you have a field and you have crops growing in the field and you don't really take care of it, you know, you're not spraying, you're not uh, tilling, you're going to have weeds growing up in the field. And that's kind of what's happened to my database. That's why I'm putting so much emphasis on all these people that I've worked with in the past. So I've already expressed some of the changes that we're making. Um, we would periodically send out email. But a lot of the email addresses have changed. The people have moved. We don't have their new phone number. So we're going through and we're doing a check and a balance against the tax records to see if these people still live in the house. That's one of the things that we're doing. We're also getting on such programs as Spokeo, Intellius, and we're going in to see if these people live in the house. We're looking for their phone numbers on, on cross-reference directories online. We have to pay a subscription to do that, but we're going through check and balance. We go on Facebook. We're looking to see if they have an email address there so we can contact them. We're calibrating and just refurbishing and tilling our field of our database so that we have accurate as possible information. So we're not wasting time and money sending out anything to them. On top of that, I've hired another person that is going to be beginning about one or two weeks from now calling the database. This is a person that used to have her license and is getting her license again, and she will be calling my database, everyone on that database. She will make a contact call. She's the right person for the job, the right voice, the right experience, the right demeanor. She's going to reach out so that it gets done because from my standpoint, I have a lot of things on my plate. I have to find good people, and I delegate, delegate, delegate. She's the right person to call the database, and so it's an hourly position that she will receive calling our database. It's no you know, percentages or anything like that. She's going to call the database on an hourly basis, and we're going to continue to nurture and cultivate the database. So 
That's why I can't tell you how much more business we're going to do this year, but I know that these are the real basics of working your database of your past clients and your sphere of influence that's going to yield a huge crop, and that's why I'm excited, and I can't even say where we're going to go, but I know that we have a lot of upside because we've done this before. We're just getting back into doing what needs to be done to be most profitable. How often will this new telemarketer, for for lack of a better term, how often will she be calling the database? Is she going to try to touch pace with people four times a year or twice a year or once a month? What, what's your goal there? First of all, she's going to start calling the A's, the alphabetical letter A, and going to go right through to Z. We, we thought about a lot of different ways to do that, but we haven't killed it for a while, so we're just going to kill the whole field, A to Z. Based upon, and I have a sheet that I've created. It's a real simple sheet. She can work two to four hours a day. I don't want her to work eight hours a day. Two, three, four hours a day. She'll put down the name and the notes, the name and the notes of everyone that she makes contact with. And it's going to be basically her time card. It'll have a date and the number of hours that she worked. And then there's numbers along. Each sheet has 50 names that can go on there. And then so I can see she called 30 people today. She'll turn in one sheet per day. And it sounds like, well, why don't you do it on the computer? We don't want to do it on the computer. I want to see it visually. And that keeps her on track. See how many people she calls a day. If it's a no answer or if it's a voicemail, she'll just make a little note, go to the next one. But she'll go through the database. Now, based upon the call, the people might want to talk to me. She says she'll highlight it in yellow. And then I'll know when I get the sheet I need to call the people. And she'll have a little note there what the situation is. Then I'll contact the people. But I don't have to call everyone. I need to call the right one. And she will basically, again, bring to the surface through that little yellow highlight who I need to contact. And then we can close for an appointment. And so this is our process. Now, if she finds that someone wants to be called in six months, all she has to do in our database is just set a little reminder. It'll pop up you know, in five and a half months to make sure that we call them at that six-month point of time. So she will have the latitude to make those calls and to make the judgment calls on who gets contacted when. Once you go through this system all the way through A to Z, we don't have to do an A to Z again because everyone will have at least a regular contact. We will contact them once a year on the phone, but we'll also be finding out certain things in the conversation. We want to know, for example, if we know when they closed in their house, we are now sending out handwritten anniversary cards. Handwritten, handwritten. We don't want to do the all the automated. Everyone does automated. We want to do a handwritten card, refrigerator magnet and business card that goes in that little mailing, just congratulating them on the third year in the house. And so we want to just touch base on that. We also, if you know their birthday, we want to send out a birthday card, handwritten little birthday card. We also have sympathy cards. We have birth of a child cards. We have different cards in stock in the office. So when we hear of something, we immediately fire out the card. If it's something like a sympathy card, we all sign it and send it out. So we're getting all these little mechanisms in place, and we're going to work the database, work the database, work the database. And we're going to get smarter. We're going to learn new ideas from other people such as those that have been on this call. There's some great ideas on your, on your calls here, Mike. It's really uh, just a great program you're doing, by the way. So there's a lot of things that we can learn from each other, little ideas, little, little uh, ways to tweak our system so that it's more profitable and more beneficial to our customers and clients. 
Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So you're going through, a, as you mentioned, a, a cleansing process, till the soil, clean up the field, and then start some replanting. You did generate business from this list last year, so you've talked about this future. Let's go back to last year. What did you do to generate those closings? Were you making phone calls? Did you send out any mail? Or did these things just happen because people knew about you because you've been in the business a while? It's a combination of different things. I mean, they knew about me from being in the business, of course. We also have one of my uh, staff part-time. She is our marketing person, and she creates some really nice emails. And sometimes it's our blog that we'll send in an email. So we send those out to kind of keep our, ourselves uh, in front of people. We did a lot of online, you know, the Trulia, the Zillow, real pro website, uh, all good sources. But we spent a lot of money on the online presence. So we got a, a fair amount of leads from that as well. We also, uh, we didn't do a lot of open houses. We uh, were good at response time. So when we get some leads, we follow up on those quickly. Uh, Joe's very good on conversion and uh, on presentation. It's outstanding. And so if we get in front of enough people, we'll do more business. The more we get in front of, the more we receive. We measure everything. We measure the percentage of listing appointments that we list the house. We track everything. So we're always trying to improve upon our performance. Jeff, last year you, you said you generated about 25% of your closings from past clients, 25% from Sphere of Influence. Were you sending out mailers to that group last year? If so, how often and what were you sending? Well, we had one mailer that we sent out. We don't do a lot of physical mail. We sent out two probably during the course of the year last year. One of those was a real nice piece that it's an odd-sized postcard. It's about 9 by 8 inches, and it's very colorful. It's got uh, my and Joe's picture on the front with a nice house in the background, and in bold print, it says market update. And there's a little dialogue there. This is one of our attempts to go after the higher-priced houses and so we targeted to the people that we felt was in a little higher price range. We also sent this out geographically, not just direct to some of our database. But this particular card had a couple unique things on it. It says in part, home values have risen 15 to 18% in the last 12 months. Inventory has decreased by 13% and sales are up by 17.7%. The price range with the strongest sales is 350000 to 500000 with an increase of 41.5% increase in sales. The new construction segment has also increased and is up 28.4%. On the back of the card, there's a lot of little stats with little graphs, and it's easy to read. There's a lot of great information, so we're hoping that this will have shelf life. Information on the back of this piece. It has comparing 2012 to 2013 and some variations here, but it has these key metrics, new listings, pending sales, closed sales, 
days on market until sale, median list price, median sales price, price per square foot, percent of original list price received, inventory of homes for sale, and months supply of homes for sale. And there's numbers and there's graphs on each of these, and it's laid out very, very nicely. So we believe that that piece will have shelf life, and again, we're targeting the higher price range, and that's where we want to move into. On that card, is there a a call to action? Are you asking them to do anything? On the bottom, it says, it says, summary. It is the time to list your home for sale and look into buying, building, and upgrade options. For a full report or consultation, please email us, group at syslo.com or call 952-953-5000. That's what's on the bottom of the card. So there's a little bit of a call to action. And again, we say for a full report or consultation, because we have a lot of data, we track a lot of things in our marketplace. And, you know, those C-types that love data and so forth, they love this data. They like to know what uh, what our forecast is. What do we think is going to happen, you know, going into the next year because they might be thinking of selling. You mentioned before all these new things that you're going to be doing in this upcoming year to generate more referrals and more repeat business. You've mentioned these handwritten notes and cards. You've mentioned that you have a person in place now to make phone calls. What else are you going to be doing? Are you going to be sending out either mail pieces or email pieces? What else are you going to do to stay in touch with those people? Well, one of the things that we're doing relative to going through our database and getting it cleaned up, kind of like I, I was thinking of the word detox. You know, we got to give our database a little detox, <laughs> you know, clean it up. So they're, they're database detox. There we go. That's a new one. So that's what we're doing. So once we have that in place, we can be more effective. For example, what we want to do when we're talking to someone, we want to find out where they're at relative to how interested they are in the real estate market. So for example, when we call into the database, we're kind of touching base, but one of the questions that I have earmarked for those calls is to ask the sphere or the past client, are you currently following the real estate market? And whatever they say, yes or no, is going to tell us a lot about their interest level. If they say yes, we're going to say, great, how are you doing that? Are you happy with the results that you're getting? Do you feel that you found a good site whereby you get the information that you're looking for? What do you like about it? What are you missing? If we could provide something for you that would provide all your answers, would that be a benefit to you? So we're just going to kind of swim upstream with those questions, and then we're going to make sure we have their correct email address. Would you like it sent to one or two addresses? And if we have any questions along the way or if we have something that might benefit you, you know, after we find out what they're interested in, then uh, what's the best number for us to reach you? Would you prefer we would call you in the day or the, the evening time if we had something that we wanted to run by you? It's just asking questions in a way of providing a service to them. So we have to hear what it is that they want. They may say, no, I'm not interested in following the real estate market. Okay, I says, have you ever tried? You know, you can continue to ask questions. Have you ever tried some of the sites that offer information so that when you want the information, it's there? And we could provide that for you so that if you ever decided that you want to just kind of like open the cupboard and see what's inside, we're there for you with the information that you want. Would that be a benefit to you? So 
those kind of calls, that's what we want to do on the calls to find out how we can help them. And we can get a lot of information. Once people know that we're there to help them, they'll give us all kinds of information and we just put it into the database because we have all the fields within a given record. We have those fields in place to gather the information, which can then in turn creates the power. So it sounds like you're you're really working on this. I, I like your the term that you coined there. You're detoxing your database. How long do you think that this entire process will take to go through the database, clean it up, and put it in a in a condition that you can start a heavy duty marketing program on? We thought initially that it would take about one month, and we started at the first of the year. And now we are about halfway through going through the database and we're getting more efficient at going through and cleaning it up. Initially, I had one person doing it. Now I've got three people doing it because I want it done by the end of February. So once it gets complete, then we will be able to, we can use it now. It's not like it's shut down, but it'll just be optimized. You know, after the detox, our database will be optimized to provide quality information that we can use in our marketing and getting referrals. And it will be very, very profitable. I'm convinced it's hard to kind of see it right now, but I know that there's a wealth of return on the expenditure and the time that we're putting into going through this detox. Yeah, my own personal opinion is it's the best place for you to invest your time and your money. These people that already know you. There's no other place that you could be investing your time and your money that's going to give back the returns that I think you're going to be seeing in one, two, three years down the line. I I agree, Mike. And, you know, the funny thing is, when you think about it, it's common sense, but somehow, you know, I just wasn't doing what I really should be doing. For example, when you think about, I'm going to spend tens of thousands of dollars marketing on the Internet for people that probably aren't really ready to do something right now, and I'm going to cultivate a cold lead who I'm probably then competing with with other agents. They're shopping agents. They're clicking on a few different sites and, and, and agents. And then we go on an appointment with a cold one. And it's just the probability is so much less than spending the time and money working the warm lead to you You've already worked with in the past. You've got a great experience with someone. You can work with those people. Like I said to myself, hello, I know this, but why haven't I been doing this? I don't even know the answer to the question, to be honest with you. But it's like, hello, get it right. So I basically have gone back to really focusing on this, and I know my team really appreciates the fact that I'm fired up about this, and they're they're really happy because last couple years, again, having gone through that divorce and just like taking a sabbatical and I'm out of town all the time. And I said, you know, you guys run everything. You guys take care of everything. And they've done really a good job. They've done a great job. And I really commend them for that. But I know that something just kind of hit me at the beginning of the year and says, you know, you need to really kind of get back in. This is your business. Mr. Sislo, this is your business. What are you going to do with this? Are you just going to kind of let it go on autopilot? Are you going to kind of get back into it? And so I've really gotten fired up and these ideas, and we're all working together on these ideas now, that the team is excited, that there's some enthusiasm again, and 
I know that we're going to do a lot better than we did last year. Last year, we were up up 50% last year. It was really good. But this year, I know that what we're doing just by working the database and working for those referrals and working a higher sell price and working into the new construction area, those components, those just four components are going to be really, really rewarding. I know that. I just, I, there's no question. It will be very, very rewarding for everyone. Yeah, I think you're spending your time in the right place. Uh, I think you're going to be very happy with the results, and I can't wait to do a follow-up to find out how it turns out. Jeff, what I'd like to do is move on to a concept that you brought up with me, and, and I'd like to investigate it a little further. You brought up an idea of working with a wealthy investor in a guaranteed sell program. Could you tell us something about that? We sure can, Mike. There's a situation right now that's developing that we're very excited about it. A past client from late last year who's very wealthy, I mean, multi-millions, multi has basically taken his money out of the stock market. And he has contacted his financial advisor who connected me and the wealthy investor to do the transaction last fall. What we've been discussing is ways in the real estate arena that he can earn a 10% return. So we've come up with the following ideas. Number one, he's got money to go buy houses for cash, and he's willing to, almost like a philanthropist, help people that cannot buy a house because of their credit. We have to get him a 10% return. So think of this now. We go out and find the right house, the investor buys it for cash. We create a selling situation for the investor to sell to a buyer on a contract for deed with a two to maybe five-year balloon at an interest rate and so forth that allows for him to get a 10% year-after-year return. This is very doable, providing you buy the house at the right price, and the interest rate is maybe 7%, give or take, and the numbers work. So follow me on this for a second. We go make a sale on a house, and we have a buyer already lined up to buy it on a contract for deed, and so we have one transaction going in, and we have two transactions going out. So each of these deals is worth three transactions because we double-end it selling it to the contract for deed buyer. We, presuming we have the contract for deed buyer, and we don't have to put it on the market, okay? Here's how we're cultivating this. I have two websites that I've had for years that cultivate contract for deed buyers. Buyoncontractfordeed.com and the other one, unqualifiedbuyer.com. Both of these sites nurture and cultivate people that want to buy in a contract for deed. When you look in our town, you can find a dozen or two houses that are going to sell on a contract for deed. In our, in our marketplace south of the river, the 300,000 houses, there's very, very few. Maybe there's less than a dozen. Maybe there's two or three at one point in time. They're really hard to find. But with our investor, we can go cultivate the contract for deed buyer, go find the house, make the transaction. It's like three transactions in one. So there's one concept. Here's another concept. When we go and talk to the builders, when I make those calls to the builders, one of the things that we're going to say, are any of your agents that are working in your company now offering a guarantee sale plan? And I would say most are not. 
what we can do is let them know that we have an investor that will guarantee sale your house of the backup house. So if you're building a home for the Smiths and they have to sell their house in order to close on the new construction, wouldn't you like to have something in place along the lines of a guarantee sale plan so if the Smiths' house doesn't sell, there can be a guarantee sale on that house. We can then bring in a contract for deed buyer to buy it on the back end. So there's a lot of tools by having that money available. So we are in the process of laying out the performa for the investor and the financial advisor who introduced me to the client, who's now a past client of mine, the one with uh, the financial wherewithal, he's on board. He loves it. He says this is a great way for him to get his return because he's very nervous about the market. He took his money out at the beginning of the year, and so far the market's down, I don't know, seven or 800 points. So, so far he's pretty shrewd. This is a way that he can grow his portfolio, and he's got many millions of dollars ready to go into the real estate market. So uh, for your listeners, if you have anyone that has money and you can get them some type of a return, there's a little risk with a contract if they stop making payments and so forth. You have to explain all that, but there's a way to make money for someone that has money with you being the expert in the field if you know how to do these contract for transactions. So we're very excited about that. Another upside possibility. This is really interesting. So you would end up with, on your side, the reason you're interested is it's a buy and an immediate sell and a buy. So you're picking up basically two buyers and a seller all within one wrapped up transaction, all within a, a month or two, all happening fairly quickly. And then possibly another sell two years or five years down the line if the contract for deed buyer ends up needing to sell rather than refinance. So that could even be another transaction, but that's not immediate. Just look thinking about this and and how you would actually approach it. Would you go out with the investor and buy the property before you have a buyer in mind? Or would you take the buyer with the investor or have the buyer select the home and then have the investor go ahead and check it out before they go ahead and execute. And that way you have a buyer that actually wants the property you purchase before the investor purchases it. We want to have the buyer ahead of time because otherwise there's money in a house that, you know, is sitting idle. So again, our websites might allow for us to cultivate contract for deed buyers, people that are looking to go into a house that have bad credit but they have at least a 10% down payment. So what we would do is we would educate this buyer saying, we can help you to purchase a house. Just so you know, here's how it works. We will go and find a house for you that you like. There has to be a spread between what the investor is going to pay and what he's going to sell for. We don't want to sell you the house on a contract for deed at a price that's so inflated that it would never appraise potentially in the future. That's not our goal. Our goal is to find you a house that you will pay fair market value for plus about 5%. And the reason is it's kind of like rolling your closing costs into the price of the house. However, you don't have the closing costs. And that adds a little more yield to the investor, which makes it possible. So for example, if there's a house in the market, it's listed at $200,000. And that's a fair price for the house. You might have to pay 210000 You might have to pay 5% more. We have to work the numbers so the investor gets his proper yield. The investor might buy the house for one hundred and eighty-five dollars or 190000 in a cash deal, 
sell it to you for two hundred and ten. You're going to put down about twenty thousand. You're going to pay back on a contract balance of one hundred and ninety thousand. You're probably going to pay seven percent, give or take. But you might have to pay seven and a half percent to get the yield that the investor needs over the period of time that the house appreciates at five or eight percent a year after a couple of years you should be in pretty good shape you can refinance the house you still have equity at that point in time hopefully and that's how it plays out so when you tell the buyer the contract for the buyer in advance that the investor with cash is going to be the one that's going to make ten percent on the deal over the two or three years or whatever it might be for the term that they're going to buy it for less than you're going to buy it for because they have the cash and basically you don't. But you can get into a house. You can get the tax benefits. You can enjoy the appreciation if that continues in the marketplace. So we let the buyer know that in advance. Then we go shopping. We find the house. Then we have to get it at a certain price. Let's say we only could get that house for $193,000. It's listed at two hundred. dollars The seller's only going to go to one ninety-three. The buyer might have to pay 215. Buyer, are you willing to do the 215? If the buyer says yes, we get the investor's 10% yield and we get the deal. So that's the approach in a nutshell. So in in your state, the contract for deed, the title will immediately go to this buyer who has the the credit issue. They will actually retain title right off the bat and the investor will have a lien against the property. The deed is not transferred. There's equitable title to the buyer. He has all the rights of owning a home, all the tax benefits. He has all the responsibilities of paying the taxes and the insurance and the property, all the repairs, all the utilities, and so forth. He basically, he or she basically owns the house. So until the contract, in this case, the $190,000, until that's fulfilled, either paid off in cash or refinanced, which is probable, then the contract for deed owner, the investor, holds the deed as collateral until the 190000 is paid off. And if it's not paid off? At the end of the term, let's say it's a three-year contract for deed and the buyer has not been able to get financing. I can't speak for the investor, but the investor is trying to help people. I know the man. He's a great guy. So, But he has the option of taking the house back and selling it again to somebody else, or he can extend the term and change the terms. He can change the interest rate. He may need to do that. He could rewrite the contract completely because it's basically in default after, say, three years. Whatever that balloon date is, it's in default if it's not paid off. So it gives both parties the opportunity to renegotiate or the investor could cancel the contract for deed because it's in default and take the house back. So we want to make sure that the buyer, I've done this many times myself. I can't do it to the degree the investor can do it, but I've done this many times myself, so I know how to do this. The person in the house, you don't ever want to take their house away because they run into something where they can't refinance in time. You can, but I don't like to do that. And, And I've only done it a couple of times when the person says, I can't even make a payment to you anymore, I'm sorry, and then we just let it cancel out. We have to cancel it and, and so forth. But if the person's trying to make the payments and trying to stay in the house, I want to work with them. So, And I'm sure that this investor is very likely to do the same thing. Now, one thing that you mentioned, Mike, regarding this, these transactions would take place all the same day. We find a buyer that wants to buy the house on a contract for deed. 
The investor says, I'm ready to go. The cash is in place. We take the buyer out, find a house. We then go back to the investor and say, we found a house that the buyer wants to buy. So the investor, basically, if you want to get really technical, is what you do is the investor sells the house to the buyer on a contract for deed subject to the investor buying the house and closing on it. Now he's got a buyer locked in. He's got earnest money down. Now the investor goes and buys it because he doesn't want to buy it unless he has a buyer. Okay? So then we know that the buyer's got money out to the investor before the investor puts any money down to purchase the house. Then we just have to work the numbers so that there's enough spread and the yield will get him 10% per year during the life of the contract. Then they all close on the same day. So the investor closes his cash deal at 1 p.m., and as soon as he has his cash deal done, at 2 p.m., he sells it to the buyer on the contract for deed. It all happens in one day. Three transactions. And then moving forward, the buyer is going to be paying payments similar to a rent or a mortgage payment to the investor for the next two to five years, and then have an option to buy out the contract at the end. He will make the payments to the investor, and then he will be working to refinance. Now, the financial advisor is a loan officer, and he will be working with the buyer that we put in the house because he's also the financial advisor for the investor, and he wants to get the investor's money freed up. For example, if, if the buyer can afford to refinance the house in six months versus three years, the investor's yield goes way up because he has that equity capture much quicker than getting 7% interest, for example. He will have his money freed up, his yield much higher. So the financial advisor slash loan officer is going to work hard to get the buyer refinanced as soon as possible so that the investor wins. Jeff, just a couple more questions on this concept. What's the difference between this contract for deed and a lease option? A lease option is totally different, or rent-to-own is where you put a renter in the house and they're renting from the landlord with an option price within a certain time frame, and maybe there is extra money on top of the rent. Say the rent's $1,500 a month, but if you pay $1,700 a month, I will put $200 away for you every month. They may pay an option price of, say, $5,000 to enter into an option, which gives the renter an option to buy that house at, say, $200,000 anytime over the next 12 months. At the end of the 12-month period of time, the option expires if they don't exercise it. So do you want to extend it? It's another $2,500 for another year. These are all negotiable numbers I'm giving as an example. Another $2,500 for an additional year and we'll continue to put $200 a month away as part of your down payment. So any option amount, say the $5,000 in the first year, the $2,500 in the second year, and the $200 every month that the rent's paid on time, by the way, all goes toward the down payment toward the purchase price of $200. However, after 12 months, let's say the values went up 5%. Now the new option price for year two is $210,000 because you could have bought it for $200,000 the first year, but now the price is up to two hundred and ten if you want to buy it during the second year. So you do options typically one year at a time on a rental property. That's how I've done them in the past. But I don't really like those because I would caution anybody going into entering into a rent-to-own situation that the landlord 
can set any type of numbers, and it might sound good, so really be cautious about what you're getting into so that you're not giving away option money and you're not thinking you got a good deal when it's not so good. There's a lot of... There's a lot of gray area in a rent-to-own situation or a lease option. So I just let the renter beware and be very cautious about what they're entering into. It's not always the best for them. I don't use them anymore. I just understand what they are. What they are. And I'd like to make a statement to all of our listeners right now that you know Jeff and I are delving into this idea of creative finance and that we're just throwing out a bunch of ideas right now for educational purposes. If you get involved in these type of transactions, you need to seek legal counsel. You need to go to your broker, get them involved, and also seek the counsel of an attorney that can help you walk through these items because they have all kinds of pitfalls. They're, They're wonderful, they're very flexible, but they have some potential pitfalls that you should be aware of that we don't have enough time to go into. I just want to get this concept out there because I think it's a really neat concept and kind of how you were looking at it, Jeff, and, and the approach that you're coming at it. The last question I have on this concept would be the buyer, they have a credit issue, but I assume you have some kind of qualification that you have for that buyer. For instance, do they have to have a job or you said 10% down? What, what criteria are you an investor thinking that you would use before you allow the buyer to enter this program? That's a great question, Mike. It's important that your criteria is consistent so that there's no claims of discrimination. So you want to have your criteria written down. One of my criteria is having a 10% down payment. You could also establish minimum credit guidelines. As a landlord of rental property, I have a minimum credit guideline of 560 because I know people that rent a lot of times have bad credit. If it falls below 560, I have an option of either saying no or asking for twice the security deposit. As long as I'm consistent, I can set any guideline I want. As long as I'm consistent so that if tenant candidate one calls up and you say, well, yeah, you have a 530 credit score. There's no way I'm renting to you. Someone else calls up and I give them an option that I didn't give the first candidate. You know, that's discriminatory potentially. So you want to be very, very careful. Have a a consistent guideline. I want to know that someone's going to be able to make the payment. You can use ratios if you want. You know, typically what I look at, this is me. I'm not speaking for the investor that we were referencing. I'm talking about myself. Person tells me they can make the payment. I'm going to say, okay, make the payment. I'll be your best or your worst landlord, or if I'm doing it on a contract, your financing uh, individual. I want you to take care of the house as if it's your own. That's kind of more to a tenant. And I want you to pay me on time. Take care of the house as if it's your own and pay me on time. Just do those two things and we're going to get along really well. So I've been a landlord for many years and usually I have pretty good tenants. And once in a while I have some bad ones and you have to do what you got to do to get them out. But those are the criteria that I look for on a contract. I have a website also, another one I'll mention, GuaranteeSale.com. It's without the D, by the way, GuaranteeSale.com. I've had that website for years. It explains the criteria for my Guarantee Sale program. And those are the same type of criteria that I suggest to the investor, the one with a lot of resources, so that there's 
a way and a means that you can utilize the guaranteed sale. The guaranteed sale, if people are moving and they want to know their house is going to be sold so they don't own two homes, they're transferring out of town, whether it's a backup home that the builder has to have sold before you can close on the new construction, there's so many different applications for a guaranteed sale. I put those on my license plate now. My license plate says cash for your home, guaranteesale.com. I'm looking for opportunities to purchase houses to flip. You know, there's all kinds of applications for a guarantee sale plan. Well, I'd love to delve deeper into that, but I, I need to move on and get back into what I'd like to talk about as well, and that is your team. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the team you have right now? And what I'm looking for is titles, positions, and tasks that each of those members are responsible for. Certainly, my team lead is Joe, and Joe both goes on listing appointments and works with the buyers. This changed a couple of years ago when I basically was going through all the personal stuff that I was going through, and I had an appointment, and then I had an appointment with a lawyer, you know, the divorce lawyer, and I had, you know, it was it was overwhelming. And I said, Joe, I says, can you, can you go and go on that appointment for me? Joe, can you do this? Joe started with me a little over three years ago. And he had never sold a house before. And he's very intelligent. He's got a, a wide bandwidth of knowledge. And, and he's motivated. He's a great guy. So he goes out and starts working with these people. I taught him some dialogues. But, you know, you don't have to keep teaching them. You teach him something. And then he comes up with a couple more great ideas from that. So he goes out on all these appointments. So he's sold somewhere, you know, he's coming up on 200 houses pretty soon in three years. He gets the leads. He has the systems in place. He has a support staff, and he's the team lead. He also keeps an eye on the other team because they're all in, a, in an office by themselves, and I'm, I'm one by myself. But Joe is an outstanding individual, so he is, uh, I call him my business partner. He's, uh, he's a young guy. He's sharp. And uh, he's got a good future here. He's been a very major contributor into uh, the business with a totally different, totally different approach where I'm not going on the appointments anymore. And that works really, really well. It works for me. It gives me the freedom and flexibility to go speak in my book or whatever it might be and to travel, take vacations. And uh, we just got a good, good team. He started off at a very minimal part-time job on an hourly, and now he gets a base salary plus he gets percentage of closings at close. So it's it's a good good situation and he gets all the leads. That's a very unique setup for, for someone and I, I don't know typically typically the rainmaker of an organization likes to take the listings and they give their agents the buyer leads or something like that. I used to do that but this arrangement works I think great for both of us. Second person, transaction coordinator, full time, comes with a background. Ronnie is her name as in Veronica. And she comes with a title background, so she understands the process and the flow of the documents. And she's doing a great job for us. Everything is automated. It all goes in Dropbox. We're thinning out all these files. And, and so she's just keeping track and following the systems. Marketing, part-time, Riley. She's, a, she's an incredible marketing person. She works and creates our emails. She puts all of our ads on Craigslist. We, we keep the listings out there in front of the population and the awareness of what we're doing with our listings. I have hired recently a database detox person, but we call her database administrator. 
Bree as in Brianna, she's doing a great job. She's going through. She's very detailed. She's very articulate. She's thinking. She's coming up. She's 21 years old. She's thinking and coming up with great ideas to make this transition of our database detox being efficient and effective. And that's what key, that, that's the key of my business, efficiency, effectiveness, and excellence. Those three E's go a long way. We focus on those, and it's really important with the database right now. So that is the team. I, I also mentioned that I have someone going to start calling the database. Patty's going to start calling the database here in the next two or three weeks when we get that up and running, and she's going to be calling the A to Z group, the complete database. And so Patty comes from a real estate background and a mortgage background. She's getting her license again. She's in the process of getting retested and getting that license. So she'll also perhaps be out working in the field. We haven't discussed that too much yet, but she's going to be calling the database. And she's also my project coordinator on my flips because I have several going on at any point in time. And she's doing a great job working with the contractors, getting prices, and just handling that all for me as well. So outstanding team. Really, really excited about them. I just hired a virtual assistant, by the way, to write our blogs, and we're really excited about her writing style, and she just got hired this week. So that's my team, a great team. You have all these things going on. You're doing some transition right now. You have a staff. There's going to be people listening to us asking, are you profitable? Yes, we are. Uh, at least we were last year. <laughs> we've, got a, we've got a lot of new additions, but we're going to be spending, I'm investing in people and their talent and their attitude and their motivation. That's what I'm investing in this year, and I'm trying to set the example for them. And everyone's excited right now. We have a lot of stuff going on. Instead of just paying for a point and click and paying for this and paying, just throwing money out there, hoping that someone clicks their way through to a transaction, we said, you know, we're going to do some of that, but we're going to do a lot less of it. We're going to motivate people. We're going to work with key people. We're going to help them reach their goals. And, yeah, last year we were profitable. Numbers-wise, of the gross that came in, 40% was left over after all expenses paid for staff and for marketing, 40% left over for my salary and, you know, incidentals that go to take care of the owner of the company, so to speak, okay? So I would say 40% before anything came back to me. You had about 60% were costs to take care of the entire operation, and then 40% came to the bottom, of which some you took as salary, some you took as profit, but it basically 40% net profit for your operation. That is correct. Very nice. Well, Jeff, what drives you? You know, I've always been that way since I was young, and I, and I think about that once in a while. What really drives me or motivates me? You know, in the past, you know, I always wanted to be number one. I just had that driving desire to be number one. More in the last decade or so, I've really focused more on trying to inspire and motivate people to be their best. I think there's a lot of people that just either don't give themselves permission to succeed or they're maybe fearful of failure, but they really have the components within themselves to be an outstanding performer in whatever their passion might be. So I try to unlock that. I try to motivate them so that they can achieve things and, and goals and dreams beyond their imagination. I do that in my writing. I do that in my speaking presentations. That's 
kind of what drives me right now. I like to go to different countries, and I have an opportunity to speak to agents. I have an opportunity to speak to churches. I try to motivate people to be the best they can be. I also try to help people deal with fear, because fear sets in anytime you have a challenge. And I try to inspire people to have faith, not fear. They're in two different quadrants, two different spectrums. You know, tap into your faith and, and then believe in yourself and believe in your God. I mean, that's really, really important, and it's the core of life. So I focus more on that now, and I look for those opportunities to be able to do that. Last year, I got into Cuba. I mean, that was really exciting for me. I mean, Cuba's kind of like one of those places I wanted to go because it's really hard for an American to go there. So I got into Cuba, and I had a chance to speak and, and really inspire people there. I'm going to India. The plan is to go to India in a couple months. I'm looking forward to that because they're setting the stage for me to go there and talk to people. I mean, how cool is that? So that's kind of what drives me. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by being able to have that opportunity where people want to hear something that I have to say. I guess that's, that's pretty cool. And I, I just speak from the heart, and wherever it goes, it goes. But I, I really get touched when I see people benefit from something by way of experience that I have that I can share with them, and it benefits them. That's, that's really cool. Jeff, why have you been so successful? I think there's a couple different things that you know one can focus on there. But I guess, first of all, I'm the kind of person that if I say I'm going to do something, I will go to the nth degree, to the end of the earth, or whatever to get it done. It could be a goal I set for myself. If I really want that, I know that I can get it. I know that I can get it. That's confidence. It's not arrogance. There's a line there, and I never want to go into the arrogance camp. I've been there before. I've been there before. I think a lot of us have been there before. But there's a confidence camp where we can set up shop, and we can operate from confidence and not go to arrogance. So that is my mindset to start with. I think about what it is that I want to do. If I want to reach a goal, if I want to accomplish something, I come up with that target and I I lay out a plan. And then I make a commitment to get through it no matter what the cost. I execute the plan and I follow through and have the determination to get that goal accomplished. And I have other people on board with me now, much more than in the past. I used to kind of like, I can do this, I can do this. I can't do it without the good people around me. I can't reach the goals today in the complex world without surrounding myself with key people. If I can help them reach their goals, then the big goal that I have in my mind will be reached, and we all win together. And then as we're following through, as I'm following through in the determination, working with a team, we measure and we track the results. We have checkpoints. We measure and track where we're going. We keep those metrics. And then as we see that data, we see the metrics, we can tweak them, and we can continue to improve so that we're more effective and we're more efficient in the process. So that is kind of a mindset that I, it's a roadmap, it's a prototype of what I use when we are going to go and try to accomplish something. And it's exciting. I, I, uh, I've been very blessed in my life. I've accomplished a lot of different things, you know, both in real estate when I was in the Marine Corps, when I was in college, you know, whether it's good grades or whatever, I want to do the best that I can do. And I I give credit to my dad. He says, you're not always going to be the best. He says, you're not always going to be the best. As long as you work hard and always try to do your best, then you'll be the best. And so a lot of times you end up top. A lot of times you don't. 
But if you have a good conscience and you're working hard toward that goal and you're treating people fair and you're inspiring them and you're operating from confidence and not arrogance, there's nothing that you can't accomplish. There's nothing that anyone listening to this call cannot accomplish if you lay out a plan and believe in yourself and you work toward that goal knowing in your heart that you're doing it from the right perspective, knowing that you will achieve it, knowing you're going to do that. And as you've done it a few times, you can, you can move from believing or hoping or wishing. You can move into the realm of knowing. And there's a shift there. Knowing is really powerful. And that comes through experience and having a track record of, of reaching goals in the past. Look back at what you've done that's been successful. Look at what you've done that's been successful and just do it again and again and again. Jeff, if you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? A brand new agent, I would make a list. Who do you know? Create that sphere of influence list. It, it's amazing that you might think, well, I only know a dozen or two people. As you start to write down the names of the people and the areas in life that you know them from, from work, from church, from people that you haven't talked to for a while, that list will grow. A hundred names, 200 names, maybe even 500 names. Create that list, number one. And tell yourself this. I am going to contact them on a regular basis. I'm going to make prospecting calls on a regular basis. I'm going to call for 30 minutes a day. I'm going to call 50 people a day. I'm going to call 100 people a day. Plan on prospecting, number two. And make a commitment to doing that. And follow through on the people that you make connections with. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Be the kind of person that when you say something, people know they can count on you. Boy, that's powerful. When people know they can count on you, you will be their to-go person. They're going to contact you. Maybe not even to buy or sell a house, but they're going to contact you because you know someone of equal character. Be the go-to person by doing what you say you're going to do. The other thing I would do as a brand new person, know your contracts. We have a lot of forms these days. They're always getting updated. Know your contracts. Read them and understand them because when you get in front of someone the first time, you're going to be nervous. I remember I was nervous. But the one thing that I had is I had knowledge of the contracts because I took them home. When I got, when I got hired, called a banker my first year in the real estate business, I took a folder with uh, five or six contracts that we had back then <laughs> to cover anything in real estate. But I read them thoroughly. I knew what they said. I, I'd read them before I went to bed. Know your contracts. You might have to read them for a week now because there's so many. Know your contracts so that when you're in front of someone, you have confidence. Jeff, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, as I mentioned earlier in the call, there's very important pearls that you can obtain by someone giving a little idea. They could be doing the same thing you're doing, but they're doing one little thing different. And you can pick that up on the call. So when you set aside some time and you listen to the call, have a blank sheet of paper and write down only those pearls and every call you're bound to get a sheet full of paper. Narrow those down and make some changes. Tweak your system. Add, modify, subtract. 
make your operation better and you can get those kind of ideas from calls such as this. And I certainly hope someone got an idea or two from this call, but I know that the other interviews that you have online are incredible, and there's incredible pearls in those calls. Jeff, well, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts? Everyone on this call has the ability to increase their business and to be the most amazing person in this life. And it starts with belief in yourself. Believe that you can do it and act upon that belief in a humble and confident way and take time to plan and execute and follow through and lead. And you will see changes in your life in all areas, in relationships, in your business productivity, in your finances. You all have it in your ability to do whatever it is that you want to do. Take a little bit of time on a weekly basis and start to write down those little things that you need to change in your life so that you can be the most incredible person, not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you. Well, Jeff, you are an incredible person. You think outside the box and you're willing to dream big. You find solutions where others only see problems. You're willing to admit errors and quickly work on a resolution. You showed us your internal strength and unwavering faith to overcome a life-and-death dilemma. You are an inspiration to all aspiring agents. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who last year achieved the 100 homes sold mark for the very first time. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.